Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of A Modern Nonprofit. I'm Tasha Anderson. I'm the host, and I brought along my friend Jeannie D from Anders. Anders is a CPA firm. Um, of their many talents, one of the things that they do is specialize in working with nonprofits. And Jeannie D is, in fact, an expert in nonprofits. She's been working with nonprofits for many years. Uh, she audits nonprofits, but also advises them in just a friendly face to help them figure out what do we need to do, what do we not need to do, and how do we keep all the wheels turning with all things compliance. So Jeannie, we're going to dive right into the questions and then we'll talk a little bit about how you ended up in the nonprofit space. If you're like me, no one ever, especially in professional services, realizes that they're going to end up in this space. But first, let's dive into some of the most frequently asked questions I get when it comes to auditing. So there are many, many nonprofits out there looking to have their first audit. I talk to these people all the time and they always want to understand, well, if I already have an accountant, why do I need to have an audit? Or doesn't my accountant already do my auditing? Or what is the difference between a review and an audit? So could you help people understand what they should expect an internal person to do versus what a review is versus what an Perfect. audit? Perfect. Thank you. It's a great question. And thank you for having me, Tasha. I really appreciate this. this is an awesome platform that you're uh, providing for, for our not-for-profit friends. Um, so it is, it is a common question, and it's actually not, not unique to not-for-profits, right? It, all business entities are kind of thinking, well, what, why can't I just have my accountant prepare my financial statements and publish them and so forth? So, so the rules in the marketplace are that the, account, the auditor needs to be independent of the organization. And there's a lot of uh, standards surrounding what independence means. We cannot be uh, part of your accounting team. We can't be part of the team that's going in and entering your transactions and coding your transactions and, and doing the day-to-day -day work. Um, we have to be independent because the users of the financial statements, the grantors, the funders, uh, sometimes the states are, are counting on us to have no bias uh, in, in that process. We have to be completely independent. So that's why you have to uh, go out and hire a CPA firm also, it has to be a CPA firm. It has to be a CPA, a Certified Public Accountant. That's literally what that means, public accounting. We are performing our services and writing our reports uh, to, for, to be used by those grantors and those donors and those uh, the, the public, right? In, in the for-profit space, that's for the capital markets. That's for bankers. Uh, that's for investors. They know that we, uh, we're going to give them the straight answer. We're going to give them the 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 correct report without bias and completely independent of the organization. Gotcha. So when people talk about a review versus an audit, what are the differences between those two things? Yeah, so the, the difference is a little technical. An audit is the, the highest level of service that a CPA can provide to, to your organization. It is a full, what we call a full opinion on whether or not your financial statements are fairly stated in accordance with the accounting rules, whatever basis of accounting you're using. A review, and by the way, in order to do an audit, we have a whole host of standards that we follow for testing, for procedures that we perform on that data to, in order for us to, to provide that opinion. A review is a lot less in scope. Uh, it is based on a different set of standards. Uh, instead of auditing standards, it's review standards. Mm -hmm. and we provide a report that just says we, it's, a, it's a, what we call a limited level of assurance instead of a full level of insurance. Mm -hmm. so, 
a slightly different animal. The procedures are very, very different in a review. They're primarily inquiry procedures and analytical procedures without the, the testing, the vouching, the tracing. It, it, it's a lot less labor intensive, so to speak, but it still provides some comfort to those donors and grantors uh, that, that we did perform some procedures to get to a moderate level of assurance. Gotcha. So I think what I'm hearing is an audit, well, I guess a review is kind of like a baby audit, right? I, yeah, I in some people, respects. I'll, I'll tell people they'll come in, they'll ask a lot of questions and they'll take your word for it. You know, do a couple little number crunching. Yeah, that seems right. In audit, they ask a lot of questions. They don't take your word for it. You must yeah. prove everything, right? So Correct. That, that's exactly it. There is a difference. And I think what people don't realize that every state, so our platform and, and the clients that the charity CFO works with, they're all over the country, right? Different states. And what people don't realize is that some states, many states, in fact, Missouri, where we are both located, um, does not have a requirement that the state mandates an audit, but many states do. And sometimes states require you to have just a compilation, which is mm -hmm. essentially, they just put your numbers into a pretty financial statement to be able to share. Um, other times it's a review and other times it's an audit. So there is a distinction, um, whether it's in your, your contracts, through your funders, whether it's your state or something else. So if you're listening to this, know that there is a distinction, understand what it is you're gonna be required to, um, to be in compliance with. So another thing that I get all the time is the fear and the anxiety. And I, and I kind of find this interesting because people, I'm sure you get this too, Jeannie. Well, you don't look so frightening as an auditor. Uh, you don't look scary. There's a lot of anxiety around going under audit anyway, especially if it's your first audit. So right. what, sh what would you tell a nonprofit to expect when they're getting ready to undergo an audit? Maybe what do they need to have prepared or you know, just general expectations? Right. It's, a, it's a great question. So, the, and unfortunately, the first time you ever have an audit is probably the heaviest and most labor intensive audit you'll have to do because, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the, an initial audit, or even if we're taking over from a prior auditor and you're switching firms, right? Uh, either way, the standards require us to do a lot of work on what we call beginning balances. So let's say you're a calendar year, your your operating cycle is January 1 to December 31. The auditor has a lot of responsibilities on those January 1 numbers in order to, to, to get our work done. So if we've never, if we've never pre performed an audit before, we're going to have to do a lot of extra work there or we're gonna to have to work with your prior auditor to find out what they did to, to be able to rely on their work from the, from the previous year. Probably more so than that though, is if you've never had an audit done before, the, the auditing standards require that it, the, the standard is literally called understanding of the entity. Um, and what that means is we have to get to know you. We have, we have an obligation under our standards to get to know your operations. If you think about not-for-profits, a, a traditional 501c3, we used to call voluntary health and welfare, like a social service type organization, is really a completely different animal than an arts organization. The funding is different. The types of transactions are different. The type of expenses are different. So we have to, what we have to do in auditing is we have to do what we call a risk assessment process. We can't audit every number. We'd be there for months and you wouldn't want us to do that. And our report says we didn't audit every number. It says we looked at things um, in all material respects. Well, in order for us to set that threshold and decide how deep do we need to dive, we've got to, we've got to understand what you're doing and how you're operating. And it's a very comprehensive process on the front end of the audit. So if you've never had 
And on it done before, you're going to get a boatload of questions. How does how does how do your internal control procedures work? Who who does what within your office? Who's in charge of your programs? How do your programs work? How do these funders work? It's it's a lot of lot of questions, a lot of getting to know you. So the best thing I think an organization could do to prepare for the first audit they've ever had, um, in, if you have a lot of a good operating procedures, um, you know we've got we've got policies and procedures for our accounting and for our programs and things like that. If they're not written down, they they're going to need to be. So so go through the exercise of of listing those out. Get yourself a policy manual if you don't have one already. The auditors can use that. Uh, and if you have one and hasn't been updated in a couple of years, we understand that we, we, I, I know the feeling, right? And even in my own firm, we have things that haven't been looked at in a couple of years. We need to refresh, but go through the homework of getting that stuff up to speed. It'll really help smooth out that, that early stage planning process that the auditors are going to need to go through. Um, so I, I think that would be my best advice. Um, and then make sure you're working with an auditor who knows not-for-profits. It, it is a slightly different animal than for-profit work. You need to, they, they need to be familiar with some of these grantors and how, how the grantors operate. Um, they need to be familiar with funding cycles, the way that charitable giving works. All, all of those things are going to be, if they have a background knowledge in that, it's really going to help them navigate through your organization's audit. Absolutely. I think you brought up some good points in that discussion around internal controls. And I think people think about that in a very formal way. And what I recommend to nonprofits that we've worked with, think about it twofold, right? Uh, not just your kind of accounting policies and procedures. And just to clarify, policies are a little bit different than, a lot different, frankly, than procedures. Procedures should be documented as part of the succession plan. How many organizations have you worked with, Jeannie, that you know only one person knows how to do payroll? And if that person is out unexpectedly, everybody's triaging. I have um, a client right now, you know, that had issues with um, their finance director, only was the only one that knew how to cut checks. It's not that hard, it's just the, the process for getting the checks printed within their accounting system. And they have their hands tied right now with the inability to pay bills. So right. if nothing else, um, just for you know, general business good sense, not necessarily nonprofit, for-profit, but have especially really key areas of your organization documented for the purposes of succession planning, risk assessment, especially now in the world that we live in. I mean, people could go out unexpectedly or be unavailable to work. So that's a really important thing. And that you know, kind of succession plan policies and procedures or, you know, procedure manual is, you know, it's something that's going to be useful for your auditors because they're going to be asking who does what, when, where. And I mm -hmm. think that the review of what you call understanding the entity and the review of how things are done um, kind of dovetails into my next question, which is, you know, why would someone decide to have an audit? And I get a lot of people, especially yeah. faith-based organizations, that say they want an audit. Mm -hmm. And usually, I think this is a little misunderstanding about what an audit is. I interpret that based on my many conversations with people that fall into this camp, that they believe an audit to be an opinion that all of the components of their accounting system is functioning well, right? That there are no major internal control issues. Nobody has the ability to rob the place blind. Um, 
that all the appropriate authority or you know authorizations are being given and those sort of things more internal control in nature basically mm -hmm. an audit and Jane, you can speak to this is not mm -hmm. to capture every single internal control deficiency and or identify the fact that you have fraud and i think auditors sometimes are put in an unrealistic expectation camp by way of well, why didn't the auditors catch that and that could be something that's completely outside of the scope. So could you talk a little bit more, Jeannie, maybe you've had experiences like that. Why would people decide to get an audit in sometimes what we call agreed upon procedures or in layman's terms? Um, that's a consulting project. That's different that, than an audit. That's a, that's a great, it's a great point. And it does come up very often. In fact, uh, in nearly every audit presentation I've ever given, we, we go through our report will say in that middle paragraph, this will say this in pretty much every audit report you're looking at, you know, we are not giving you an opinion about the effectiveness of your internal controls. So when we do all this internal control work and, and all this understanding of the entity and, and who does what, the reason we do that, our standards require that we do that so that we can develop our own tests and procedures accordingly. In the United States, in the private company market, not-for-profit market, we do not, in that financial statement audit, we do not give you an opinion about the effectiveness of internal controls. We're not auditing for fraud. In the middle of doing an audit, if we uncover fraud, we have some, some special responsibilities and, and requirements with respect to that. So we will notify the organization. We'll go through some procedures there. But that's not the purpose of the audit. The purpose of the audit is to give you an opinion about whether or not your financials are fairly stated in accordance with the framework of accounting, let's say generally accepted accounting principles. Mm -hmm. To your original question, why would you why would you have an audit done? Now, there's there's two schools of thought. Sometimes it's just required, and it's what we call a compliance job, you know. And the organization just wants to check that box and get it filed with the state or get it filed with the funder and move on with their lives. And I understand that. That that's okay. It, it's it's if you didn't have to have it done, you don't you wouldn't have it done, and and that's okay. There's a mindset there. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I believe the audit could be. Uh, a very, very valuable tool to help you, um, you as an executive director, as a president, uh, as, a, as a CFO, genuinely understand the qualitative aspects of our financial operations and be able to articulate that to a potential constituent of the organization. It's just sort of, it gives you a, a, an opportunity to look deeper. And I'm not trying to turn our, our not-for-profit clients into, into CPAs. That's not the point. We will do the, 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 the number crunching and, and all of the rule-based stuff, you know, with amortization schedules and, and so forth and so on. But, but to the extent that, that you can use the audit and, and, the, and the full set of financial statements as a, as a tool to really get a good handle on those fiscal operations, that to me is, is the organizations who are serious and they want to grow and they want to have a stronger financial position, a stronger balance sheet, so to speak, that audit will help you go through that process and really understand the inner workings of your financial operations, especially if you're not particularly financially minded, right? A lot of organizations didn't start off, a lot of presidents and executive directors, you know, never took an accounting class. Uh, and that's fine. You're, you're more tuned into the program side, but you can really get a better handle on how we operate fiscally once you do that process. You know, I think uh, another benefit to having an audit is 
is an audit essentially serve as an archived record of what happened in any given year. I have a, a, a situation where I started working with a client. They've been around since the 70s. They are essentially an economic development. They bought, sold, invested in different properties and sorts of things. Super, super complicated. And had it not been for the audit of all of the leadership changes, all of the account internal accounting changes, the fact that we had an audit, which what people don't realize, it's not just the numbers on a page. It tells the story about the numbers and what they call the footnotes. So that's the narrative part, the text in the very back. could be a couple pages. It could be 50 pages. It could be pretty extensive. And by nature of that you know, narrative, I was able to piece together more information about an organization. And that's where the institutional knowledge about the accounting is really housed in those sort of things. Um, and, and just to kind of piggyback off that, some people get in the idea of like audit, well, that's just checking my numbers and making sure that that you know, is in good, good standing. Sometimes I work with organizations or that they've shared with me, well, we don't wanna pay for an audit every year. So we're just gonna do it every other year. You probably get this all the time, Jeannie. What are your thoughts on that? Every other year we wanna do it. Well, as I said, it, 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 I have clients who do that as well. And I understand maybe the, the economic pressure on them for that. Um, it, it does from our, from a technical perspective, it becomes a little more complicated because as I said, we, we've got to be, we've got to do some procedures on those beginning balances. You know, I think of um, your financial statements. We always talk about them. Uh, your, your balance sheet, your statement of financial position um, is at the beginning of the year, it's like a bridge. And the beginning of the year is here at the, at, the, at the one end of the bridge. The other end of the bridge is on the other side um, here. And so the, the income statement, the statement of activities is the actual bridge itself. Mm -hmm. So for us to opine on that, we, we've got to know we started in the right place. We got to know the numbers at the beginning sure. of the year were correct. To, to know that the numbers at the end of the year were correct. Sure. Um, and so it, it becomes a little bit more cumbersome if we're not doing it every year. Mm -hmm. It is, I do have clients that do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think what you're saying though, and, and I completely agree is that, you know, things are changing. I mean, I, you know, we've seen this year alone, uh, a complete upending of, of how we operate. Um, and so having that historical record that has been examined, you know, we call audits examinations, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that will help us, uh, and, and an annual block of time on that is, is a, considered a best practice, if you will, you know, a, a best practice amount of time uh, to have that locked in. So if we need to go back and recreate something, you know, because our world turned upside down because of the pandemic, we, we've got a good stopping point that's not two, three, four years um, back in our history. Absolutely. So, so what are some of the common mistakes you find with respect to accounting or bookkeeping that come up in an audit? So what, what are your main findings that you that you find? Probably, I, I would say one of my biggest, I'll call it a pet peeve almost, um, is, is timeliness of accounting reconciliations. And this is something that you'd want to, you work with your internal accountant or your external accountant to make sure that you know, we, we talk about year-end audits and the auditors are coming in, it's year-end, but really, if you think about it, if your accounting is being done properly, you could really almost have an auditor come in any at the end of any month or at the end of any period. And as you've performed all of the account reconciliations uh, needed in a timely way, and that's, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at, you know, have the cash accounts been reconciled? Have the accounts receivables been reconciled? Have we evaluated if those are collectible? Have our accounts payable been reconciled? How old are they? Those, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. so 
it's not, there's not some magic that happens at year end. You know, everybody talks about getting ready for the auditors and, and, and getting the books straightened out and closing everything up. But you're kind of, you should be doing that practically every month. So mm -hmm. I, it's, it's, is it a mistake? I think it is. I think it puts you at risk if you are not doing that internal work month to month, quarter to quarter, and you're just kind of waiting to the end of the year to do all the cleanup for the year, because we lose a lot in the history of, of that. And it becomes much more cumbersome to, to sort of go back and figure out, well, why was this expense coded here? Those, those sorts of things. So I think, um, I think that would be one recommendation. I do see from time to time organizations that just kind of fall short on that. You get, you get distracted, you get busy with other things and you push that aside. So we would, we would ask um, for our clients to, to make sure that that's happening timely. Another, I, I don't wanna call it a mistake so much, but I think it's a risk. Um, and, and it's kind of connected to those reconciliations would be making sure that your development team uh, is working with your generally, uh, mm. your accounting team. Mm -hmm. so we have to see reconciliations between development, fundraising, and gen general ledger accounting. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever had an audit, I, I promise you, your auditors have looked at that. They probably told you you need to shore up that reconciliation process. Yeah. The technical side of the accounting is a little different than what the development folks are, are dealing with from a fundraising perspective. And there's a ton of risks there if those teams don't get together frequently to make sure their, their data matches up. Good points. And I want to go back to something that you'd said about, you know, and I think that there's a misunderstanding sometimes about, um, you know, bookkeeping and accounting. And the way that I explain it, and you kind of touched on it, entering the transactions into the accounting system, kind of the day-to-day -day work, which your volunteer might be doing, in some cases, a board treasurer might be helping with, the founder oftentimes does if they have no other employees, that is bookkeeping. That's getting the information into the system. It really, I kind of call QuickBooks, that's a database, like anything else now. Um, and you're really just doing a database management at that point. The reconciliation part that you're talking about is really the accounting piece. And most bookkeepers, in my experience, are not necessarily skilled in the area of understanding reconciliations of fixed assets, or if you're a membership organization, mm -hmm. what they call deferred revenue. So when I talk to people about, you know, when is it time to hire an accountant? It's when your auditors, if you get audited, start asking for all of these Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Those Excel spreadsheets are the reconciliations that I think you're talking about, Jeannie, which are a right. little bit different, a lot different, than, than the bookkeeping. Not to say that a bookkeeper couldn't do that, but I think a lot of people just don't know what they don't know and right. they don't realize that those reconciliations should be done really on a monthly basis. And if they are done on a monthly basis, that makes your year-end process so much easier. It makes it so much easier for auditors to do. And frankly, if your auditors, if you're not preparing a lot of Excel spreadsheets, that probably means your auditors are doing that. And frankly, they're probably charging a premium because they're doing extra work beyond what they would normally do. So <laughs> keep that exactly. in mind. Um, if you don't have a lot of Excel spreadsheets, one, you could be a very simple organization <laughs> and that's fine. Um, but if you don't, if you are fairly complex, you know, say over 250, 300,000 and you don't have any additional um, outside of the book reconciliations, again, prepaids, deferred expenses, right. fixed assets, any of those things. Uh, that's where the accounting comes into play. So kind of keep that in mind um, as you're kind of planning that out. 
So one last question for you, Jeannie. Uh, what is the one piece of advice you would give a nonprofit with respect to either their operations or their accounting, as you've seen probably hundreds, if not thousands of nonprofits now, whether it's on the internal controls or how they do the accounting, what, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, I kind of, I, I think about this question in terms of, you know, the audit actually, because I'm an auditor. And I, my piece of advice is to, especially for maybe for CEOs and executive directors, uh, to participate in that audit process as much as possible. I, we always say to our clients, you know, and every audit report will have this. These are your financial statements. They are your representations. Even if the auditor assisted you in the drafting of the footnotes, which is often the case in, in this market, um, think about it as, a, uh, as having an autobiography, but you had a ghostwriter help you write them. You know, mm -hmm. these are your representations to, to your constituents. They are your, it, it's your work product. All we're doing is doing our procedures and putting our opinion on the top of that. We've said that in our opinion. Um, but you have to own this information. You have to really believe it, understand it, own it. I don't, again, I don't need our clients to turn into CPAs. That's, that's fine. But when a grantor calls you six months after the audit and says, I, I'm really not understanding something in footnote five here with mm -hmm. respect to liquidity and availability of financial assets. And if the executive director was not engaged in the audit process, to understand why is this footnote there? What does it mean? What is it saying um, about our organization? Uh, they, they're not gonna have the tools that they need to respond to that grantor and they're gonna miss some opportunities. So I think my, my piece of advice is, you know, it, it, if you have to have an audit done, make or even if you don't and you just want to get an audit done, make sure you're involved in it and, and you're trying to get the most uh, out of it. A good auditor will invite you along the journey and want you to understand why are we doing all this work? What do, what do these procedures mean? Mm -hmm. What are the, what is the whole set of financial statements? We talk about financial statements taken as a whole. It's a very important concept. It's your little autobiography for that year. We want it to be as meaningful as possible for you and your organization. Which brings up a good point. And I think where people get overwhelmed, they think that an audit report is a standardized, you know list or menu of things that must be required. So just a few tips for those of you that don't even know how to get started. Uh, some of the recommendations that I do, look at the very first footnote, that is a description of your organization. What story do you wanna tell about your organization? Do they represent the programs that you have? I had a client one time I worked with back, I used to be an auditor many years ago. Um, and I had shown them the, you know, description of activities or, you know, the, the nature of the operations or, you know, whatever we call it, the very first footnote. Um, and they said, we don't have that program anymore. We don't have that oh. program anymore. And that had been going on for years that they had carried the same story year after year after year in their financial statements. And then, so that description of what your organization is, what programs do you currently operate with? What, you know, social impact are you having? And then also, if your financial statements are broken out by department, is that the same way that you talk about your organization? Is that the same way you describe your organization? So for example, I had a client that um, it had a, a column in their income statement or statement of activities for a, tele, um, a telethon. They had not done a telethon for eight years at the time I started working in that organization. So that would be just a really easy way to start getting involved and in understanding, you know, if I have programs listed on my 
financial report, are those actually representative of what the organization is now? Um, and are there things that we've added? Those added programs are going to be especially important for your funders, especially if one of those funders is going to get that report and it does not have that information anywhere on there. So that's just one little area exactly. that you can get involved in that it is not, to your point, Jeannie, accounting related. You don't have to be a CPA. Think of mm -hmm. it as a marketing objective that you just read <laughs> the first footnote, um, start there, understand yep. what that <laughs> means and make sure that it makes sense um, with your organization. We'll take it one piece at a time. So Jeannie, now that everybody's heard a little bit about, you know, all of the things auditing that are kind of relating to nonprofit and some of your tips or tricks, Tell us a little bit more about how you ended up spending your career as an accountant working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. Thank you. I appreciate that question. It's it's such a it's a passion of mine. Um, I didn't start off in accounting. I didn't start. I started off in English literature, actually. Wow. So, yeah, I, in college, that that's what I was going to. And I don't know what that means, actually. I'm not, I never really understood what I was going to do with that. So. Eventually, uh, after a couple of years, I realized that, that not job prospects weren't uh, as strong in, <laughs> in that field. And I'd always been, my dad was an accountant. I'd always been relatively good with, uh, with accounting. I won't say good with numbers, but accounting isn't, I, I don't treat accounting really as numbers so much. It's a system of organization, really. Right. I really get down to the nuts and bolts of it. Accounting is a, is a system of uh, logical organization. So I, I ultimately decided I, I would go get an accounting degree. But my goal, interestingly, um, based on your first comment, um, I wanted to work with not-for-profits. I, I really didn't know much about uh, uh, public policy research administration. I, I was unclear. And I, I don't personally feel like I would have been good in social work. But I knew I wanted to work in, in not-for-profits in some capacity. And I figured I'll get an accounting degree. And that's a good avenue to go work with not-for-profits. I, I like a lot of uh, young accountants, I, I spent some time in a small CPA firm and I just fell in love with auditing. I really, because for me, that gave me an opportunity to work with not just one organization, but dozens and dozens of organizations. So I began to develop my career there. Um, and about four years ago, I had an opportunity to move to Anders CPAs. And at the time, the firm was interested in in sort of reinventing the not-for-profit practice here mm -hmm. um, it was a it's a specialty area we wanted to build um, a better practice we wanted to provide more resources for both our clients and our community um, it was kind of natural fit based on the type of firm anders is we're very progressive we're very interested in community um, community outreach and it was kind of kismet. I, I came in and, and, and talked with them and, and I said, I, I really want to run with this. I, re I really want to kind of reinvent the way that we're working with not-for-profit organizations. And they're like, sure, go for it. You know, uh, so here's your desk. Go, you know, they <laughs> great firm. And, and we have a lot of resources here. We have a lot of expertise in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, good marketing, good human resources, uh, career and, and and people development. I'm also very passionate about the profession of public accounting. So I to work with a, a lot of our young professionals and show them that not-for-profit work is actually really exciting. It's very unique. Um, it's, it's, it's a different animal than, than some of the for-profit work and other compliance and tax work that we do. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So we've, over the past four years, we've, we started this initiative We've put on symposium events and different um, seminars, and uh, we have a great website platform for our not-for-profit symposium this year because we had to do it virtually. 
And it's <laughs> we have a firm that is interested in pursuing that area at, at a level of excellence. So I'm just delighted to be a part of that. Well, you know, that's my whole goal for this platform is to work with other professionals. A, a few, a few comments on that. For one, I feel like professional services in general has kind of turned their back on the nonprofit space. There's a myth they have no money. Um, they don't want to hire services. They don't want to pay market value. Um, and sometimes it's about working differently and being creative about how we get the work done, uh, how we add value to the nonprofit space that may not be the way we've always done it. That's certainly you know what, what we do at our firm. I know that's certainly what Anders does. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today to kind of talk a little bit more about, um, for one, finding an auditor that's friendly and approachable. Uh, it doesn't have to be scary. <laughs> right. And also willing to be a little creative about you know, what an audit means, how that might involve your organization. So Jeannie, there's lots of organizations out there that might have an auditor. They're looking for other options. They um, might know that they're going to be getting an audit. It's part of their strategic plan to start getting an audit or a review. If they wanted to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way to do that? Uh, anyone, you can always find me. Um, uh, my email is jdee at anderscpa.com. You can call the office at um, 314 6. I have to look at my thing 655 Who uses the phone anymore? I know. I know. <laughs> 314 655 But if you just go to Anders CPA, if you go to Anders uh, CPA.com and you, you, one of our practice areas, you'll find it. It's right there. It's, um, it's uh, our not for profit space. My profile is there. Uh, you can call Tasha and. Yep. <laughs> can direct you to me or anyone on our team here. Um, usually if a, if a call comes into the front desk and it's a not-for-profit and it, as soon as they say the words, I'm a not-for-profit or they just transfer them over to, to my desk or to one of my team members. We actually have a lot of good bench strength um, in, in our, in our not-for-profit field as well. And one, one last comment on what we were just talking about, Tasha, you know, you're right in professional services firms, Often, unfortunately, not-for-profits do get overlooked. Um, you're not allowed to use the, the phrase good summer work in my firm. You know, there's an old school thinking that, well, we'll do that work in the summer when we're not busy and, you know, and, and we'll just get, send some kids out there that they can use it as a learning opportunity. We don't, we don't do that. We believe you get out of an industry, any industry, any, any business industry, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And if we give not-for-profits, our best service and our highest level of expertise, uh, and we put those resources in, we're going we're gonna to get that back out in terms of developing those organizations, having them be more successful to reach more people and mm -hmm. perform their mission more in the community. It, it's, it, you know, sort of that rising waters, rises all ships kind of content. So we, we really believe that here. Yeah. That's very important to us. Uh, so I thank you again for the opportunity to come on and, and talk about this a little bit more. Absolutely, Jeannie. Well, it was really great having you on. And again, if you all want to get connected with Jeannie, we'll drop her website and her email address in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to her directly. And thanks again, Jeannie. Thank you, Tasha. Take care.